Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And he swings. Hits it high. And deep. And gone. Still going back. Welcome back to The Call Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Arm Leighton, and in today's episode, we have an awesome conversation with Pirates pitching prospect Quinn Priester. I'm also going to check in on some of the best prospects in baseball who are really swinging it right now as we wind down the season. But the conversation with Quinn Priester, of course, former first round pick back in 2019 with the Pittsburgh Pirates is awesome. And it was Jack talking shop with Priester at the field before the game because, of course, Jack is the one of the voices of the Indianapolis Indians, and Priester has just recently rejoined the team over there after a, about a 32 and two-thirds inning stretch at the big league level. Didn't go exactly the way that he had wanted it to, but he talks about the things that he's learned and the things that he's been able to kind of adjust and continue to improve, and some of the focuses going into the offseason. I think it's really interesting with Priester, who, you know, again, a 2019 first-round pick out of high school has somewhat been a victim of prospect fatigue because of how advanced he is. He's quickly you know, risen through the minor leagues. He's put up consistently good numbers at each stop, and even the numbers in AAA have been really solid overall. Surface-level numbers, 4 ERA on the dot, but you look at some of the underlying metrics, a 3.59 FIP. There's a lot of reasons to be encouraged from what we've seen from Priester this year because he's striking out nearly 10 per nine. He has continued to kind of tweak the arsenal a little bit and he talks about that in this conversation with Jack and Jack does an awesome job of kind of getting into the weeds with him about scrapping the four seamer, starting to favor that sinker a bit more and potentially adding some new pitches in the offseason that he can lean on a little bit more that can help him take his Arsenal to the next level. Of course, you look at the numbers, the four-seamer did get hit pretty hard, and, and Priester's aware of that, and he talks about his release point and how being a high-release point guy, the four-seamer just doesn't play the same way, but a sinker will play really well from that from that downward type of angle, and we've seen him get a fair amount of ground balls throughout his minor league career, and same story this year, and something that he can continue to build on. He is an awesome dude. He's really funny, and there's some great questions that Jack asks him, and some things that he talks about that, whether it's outer space or his pitch arsenal or his journey or whatever it may be, you will come away a fan of Quinn Priester, and and I think that's why he is one of the more well-liked and well-respected players in the minor leagues. You, you talk to any scout or anyone who really covers the game closely and is had any interaction with him. They have nothing but great things to say about him. You'd be hard-pressed to find a write-up on Quinn Priester that does not highlight his fantastic makeup, 
who he is as a person and a player and his just ridiculous work ethic. So that's something that always makes people, I think, a little bit more optimistic in him. And even despite some of the ups and downs, feeling like he's going to find a way to kind of put it all together. It's also worth noting that he literally just turned 23 today as we're recording this on September 15th. Happy 23rd birthday to Quinn Priester. So still very young and a guy that is still trying to figure out and optimize the entire arsenal and getting a better feel for that sinker, starting to scrap that four-seamer and really focus on getting the ground balls and weak contact and then potentially adding that cutter and some of the other things that he talks about, I really think can kind of get him to the next level. It's also worth noting that in the past, and he talks about this, that he used to be in the upper 90s a lot more. And he doesn't he doesn't really have any one rhyme or reason as to why the Velo has slipped a little bit over the last season and a half, two seasons. But he talks about you know what it takes to try to get, get that back and what his progression has kind of looked like over the last couple of years and, and where he wants to be going into next year, which you can tell he is very excited about next season and what he can potentially do there with an offseason to work and tweak things because it is so hard to do that in season, and he still was able to do that to a degree this year and get acclimated to AAA and go through some nice stretches. Before I cut over to Jack's conversation with Quinn Priester, I do want to just do a little bit of upkeep around the minor leagues, and some of the top prospects in baseball have really really been performing and I wanted to discuss that as the season winds down it's awesome to see some dudes really finishing the season on an extremely high note while generating a ton of momentum for next season and of course I gotta start with nobody other than Wyatt Lankford. Wyatt Lankford with the Texas Rangers has been ridiculous and it's just one of those things where I feel like we've been talking about him a ton and you just can't talk about him enough because It has been remarkable what he's been able to do since they took him fourth overall just a couple months ago. And it's beyond just the data and the things that we've been able to see on his Fangraphs page, which is ridiculous. And I will get to that in a second. But watching his ABs so far, whether it has been at the low A, high A and now double A level, he controls and commands his at-bats as well as any hitter I've seen in the minor leagues this season. And remember, this is a guy who just broke into the minor leagues. Of course, SEC competition is very tough. Playing in the College World Series, he saw plenty of very, very talented arms, but it is just amazing how comfortable he is in the box. Pretty much since he's jumped into pro ball, it's looked just like it looked in college for him, which is he is the guy to fear. He is the guy that is comfortable, and the game just looks a little bit slower to him, and it is really awesome to watch. There are some specific swings that I've seen him get off that are insane, too. It's it's all fields power, and he's really improved that over his collegiate career after kind of being a guy that likes to get a little bit spinny. He is somebody that definitely loves to go into that pull side and crush balls, and he won't miss one middle in, but he has really improved with the lower half consistency, and, and leverage is what is one of the stronger lower halves. You're going to see from a hitter really at at any level. He is absolutely a strong guy who uses the ground extremely well. And that's why you can see that all fields power. That's why you can see him kind of hold his base really well, stay in his legs. And even his B swings are extremely powerful just because of how strong he is. But the adjustability and his hands and how well they work and how he can kind of get the barrel wherever he wants it to go is what's really impressive to me. In the same game, I watched him hit a home run backside the other way on a fastball that was elevated, maybe middle 
hole, but a little bit towards the outer half of the plate, got on him quick, and he just shot it over the wall in right field. And then shortly after that, he gets a 91-mile-an-hour fastball up and in, borderline ball, like at the top inside part of the of the strike zone, literally touching the corner, and he turns that thing around and fights it over the left field wall. I, I don't know if he hit it with every bit of his strength or absolutely barreled it up, but the fact that he could even get to that pitch up and in that usually ties up most hitters and still hit it hard enough to put it over the wall is what is just so amazing to me because this guy can go the other way with authority and then you're not really going to be able to beat him in. It's really tough to beat this dude, especially when you look at his professional chase rates and they're under 20%. It's hovering around 17%. He doesn't whiff much in the zone. You can't beat him inside. He stays back long enough and has the plate coverage to really be able to drive stuff with authority outside. And again, you really can't get him to, to expand out of his approach. So how do you get this guy out? It, it's really hard. I, I don't know. And I would love to see what the scouting report even attempts to be at this point, because it is just so difficult to try to get this dude to get out. And you look at the numbers so far. I mean, at each stop, he's just been ridiculous. We, we didn't get low A, by the way. So I, I should correct that. It's really only been complex high A and double A. And just focusing on the high A numbers in 24 games there, he walked as much as he struck out. He hit five home runs and he slashed 333, 453, 644. And if that wasn't good enough, he plays nine games in double A thus far. And to this point, he has struck out just three times. He has walked 10 times and he has slashed 414, 550, 828. That's good for a 242 WRC plus. I mean, that is just absurdity. And if you look at the numbers pretty much combined between those two levels, which is a 33-game sample size, and I know that's not the biggest sample size in the world, but that's all we have to work with right now. He's slashing 353, 479, 690 with eight homers, 28 walks, 21 strikeouts. This dude is special. The defense, you know, that's still a work in progress as reads and routes could get a little bit better. Who cares when you hit the ball the way that he hits it and consistently in the air and also with the speed that he brings to the table. Langford's stock is rising. You're going to be hearing more and more about him. It's going to be kind of nonstop. And there's probably going to be people that are making the case for him to, to break camp by the start of next year just because of how impressive he has been and how easy the game has looked for him as he has continued to rise up the ranks and now has you know, really eased his way right into double A. So it'll be fun to hear all the discourse. And I'm sure a lot of people will start saying, hey, this guy might be a top prospect in baseball in terms of like you could make a number one overall prospect case for him. I think people will start doing that very soon. And I don't think it's crazy at all. I'd have to kind of assess everything in our end of season update, but he's definitely someone that I think has a a strong claim at being a comfortably top five prospect. And people are going to pit him and Cruz against each other all the time. And I I think it's kind of unfair to be hard on Cruz for not adjusting to double A quite as easily. And they're also hitting in kind of different environments. But that said, what Langford is doing is just absolutely remarkable. Another young prospect, actually much younger at this point because he was a high school guy, but has made a really smooth transition into double A. And has actually surprised me in this regard because he did see his whiff kind of tick up in high A after being promoted from low A. It's Roman Anthony of the Boston Red Sox. 
just turned 19 years old in May and so still somebody that is just remarkably advanced as well. And it's even more ridiculous when you consider that Anthony is drafted out of high school. But the way he has settled into double A of late has been really fun to, to monitor and really fun to see. And extremely patient hitter. And that's something we talked about. And at the lower levels, that's something that can kind of work against you because of how big the zone is. And sometimes these really patient hitters who have an unbelievable feel for the strike zone tend to often know the strike zone better than the umpires. And that can often backfire on them. Even in double A, I saw Wyatt Lankford get rung up recently on a pitch that wasn't a strike. It just wasn't close. And that's what's even crazier is he really should only have like two strikeouts at the double A level. But when you look at what Anthony has done to ease into double A, and I know it's just an eight game sample, but still guys that are overmatched will get overmatched. Like you're not going to look as comfortable as Roman Anthony has looked at the double A level thus far. Eight games, he is slashing 321, 457, 571, but most impressively, he has walked seven times and he has struck out just five times. To already be comfortable in this kind of situation at 19 years old and really allowing himself to not only start the season in double A next year, but have some confidence and momentum next year and potentially, and I think now shifting his timeline to a potential big league debut next season, which is remarkable. So we're seeing Roman Anthony really finally leverage that approach well. I think he was similar to some other guys where it was, hey, is it passiveness or is it patience? And I think it was really patience for him. And it just kind of came off as passiveness because the zones are so inconsistent at the lower levels. And we're seeing patience really work in his favor now at the double A level where the umpires do get a little bit better. It's been fun to watch him really leverage the power to all fields. He goes the other way with authority. We saw him just put so many home runs over the wall in Greenville, uh, which is kind of that that simulation of the monster, a little bit smaller, but had no issue going over that monster the other way. And then again, he is still really getting comfortable with going to his pull side and has gotten better at that. He's been putting the ball on the ground a little bit more frequently, and that's something to monitor because getting the ball in the air is what's really helped him see that uptick in power. But he hits the ball so hard and he's so patient and still has found his spots to leverage and get the ball in the air that he can get away with a higher ground ball rate than most. And I think the elevated ground ball rate is still kind of him getting acclimated to some better secondary stuff. He's seen a lot of change-ups pretty much since he's been brought up to double A. He's seen better breaking balls, but overall, he has been able to hold his own. He doesn't expand the zone much against those secondary stuff. It's just kind of just getting better at, at hitting them and driving them with authority. But step one is picking up spin, recognizing spin, and, and being able to shut it down when it's not a strike. That is something that's hard to teach. What's easier to teach is the ability to stay back and stay in the zone and drive breaking balls. And I think this 19-year-old is going to be able to do that as he goes into the offseason with a strong taste of double A and a really good taste in terms of his success and comes back in to 2024 with some good momentum. So it's been really fun to see Roman Anthony do his thing. Another double A hitter who has been extremely impressive and another outfielder is Jacob Melton. And Jacob Melton of the Astros, this is a guy that's probably playing his way into the top 100 uh, end of season update here with the way he has been able to swing the bat. First couple games, he looked like he was feeling things out at the double A level. And then since then, it has just been video game numbers for Melton and just a ridiculous amount of power. He's hit four home runs in his last five double-A games. He's up to 23 homers on the season and over 40 stolen bases, which is already remarkable. And you can talk about Asheville being a very hitter-friendly environment. Now the Texas League is a place where the ball definitely carries. But this guy's running 
a 107 mile per hour 90th percentile exit velocity. So that's really going to back the power output. And most of his home runs are so long gone, it's crazy. And to be honest, the contact rates, I think, are a lot better than people would expect because you see a 248 batting average, a 335 on base, and it's like, ooh, is the hit tool fringy? I don't think so. I actually think it's it's an average hit tool. And if the approach continues to improve, you know, he's he struggled in the early going with breaking balls and it's just gotten better and better with the secondary stuff and has become a little bit more patient as the years progressed. I mean, it's it's hard to negate 80, 82% zone contact, 76% overall contact rate. Like that'll play for a guy who hits the ball with easy plus exit velocities. I think it's plus and a half uh, at this point. And there's room for a little bit more in there. And has just gotten better and better at driving the ball in the air. The speed power combination is really exciting. The ability to stick in in center field is there. Melton is a guy that is, I think is very likely to be on our top 100 update at the end of the season. And I think there's a good reason why the Astros decided to hold on to him considering some of the other prospects that they moved at the deadline. I think Melton may be that favorite dude or one of the favorite guys internally. And uh, he's definitely looking like he's trending in that way. If he's not already. Another dude finishing the year really, really strong is Mariners prospect Cole Young in high A. Another guy that when I watch the at-bats, some of the swings that he is getting off in terms of pitches that most hitters have no business getting to. And he somehow gets his hands to a ball that missed two, three balls inside running in on him, left-handed sinker, and just rips it to right field and somehow keeps it fair. Like The way that he is able to control the barrel and the bat speed that he has and just how advanced he is of a hitter, it is so fun to watch. And then you just look at the numbers. I mean, his final 13 games of the season, kind of just heading into right as I'm recording this episode, 412, 500, 549 slash line. He only struck out six times in that span. 21 hits over his final 13 games. And again, this is a guy that's starting to flash above average exit velocities. But even if he was an average power guy at best, the feel to hit, the advanced approach, a sub 20% chase rate guy, and the ability to just get to anything, it seems like he's so tough to strike out. And he just turned 20 years old. He's going to start next season at the double A level. And I think he's going to be another dude that just really eases in to double A and doesn't have much issue just getting going right away because he is just built to be able to handle aggressive assignments. This is somebody that checked in very high up on our top 100 update at the midseason. And and I think he was somewhere in that top 20 range, top 25 range. And he's going to be even higher. I think you can make the case that he's a top 15 prospect in baseball, whether he plays shortstop or not, just because of how exciting the bat is, how well-rounded of a player he is, the instincts, and again, just how safe the bat is with still enough upside to get really excited about him. And he is just one of those dudes where I have some swings saved in my video file where I just have freak swings as one of the folders. And he's got a couple of those where it's just how the heck did he get to that pitch? And that's exactly what he's able to do on a pretty frequent basis while also being disciplined. It's rare that you see him take a swing at a pitch that, you know, is is not very good to hit. But when he's behind in the count, two strikes, and it's a pitch that's probably a strike, but well executed, it's amazing how he's able to still get two pitches that are well executed. There's nothing more demoralizing for a pitcher. Speaking of pitchers, one last name I wanted to highlight real quick, unless another one comes to mind as I'm highlighting him, Mick Abel. He's been a guy that's been frustrating for me. Of course, Philly's pitching prospect just because you can see the potential and what he can be and just 
how exciting and electric the arsenal is, but it just has been a little bit up and down for him this year. Abel is finishing the year, though, on a really nice note and has been trending better of late. His last two starts have been phenomenal, uh, and I think you could make the case that his last four starts have been really good. I mean, he has not given up more than one earned run over his last four starts, and you combine all four of them, it's a total of three earned in that span. There's some walks in a couple of them, but for the most part, he's been able to keep the free passes at a minimum, and over the last two starts has just been much better at getting swings and misses, and I think that goes hand-in-hand, of course, with the command because the stuff is always there. Last two starts combined 15 strikeouts, five walks, and just one earned run, four hits, and 11 innings. The last start, though, is the one that really stood out to me because of how quality the fastball was and how confident he was in his secondary stuff. He went five innings of three-hit, one-run ball against Binghamton at the AA level, struck out eight, but looking at the way he was just able to overpower hitters with the fastball is what was really remarkable to me. He picked up 21 whiffs in that start, and 11 of those whiffs came on the heater where, I mean, even if it was a hitter's count, if it was a, a situation where he was ahead in the count, it didn't matter. That fastball is just getting by guys. Even Louis Guillaume on a rehab start, just right by him. Some of the better hitting prospects they had in that lineup right by them. You could just tell that fastball was getting on them really quick. He also picked up seven whiffs on his breaking balls and then three whiffs on changeups. And it was nice to see him have that feel for the changeup a little bit, which hasn't totally been there for him this year. And I think that's a big part of him being able to turn over lineups and, and go deeper into starts and just have more confidence overall. While this year has been a tough one for me to really gauge where exactly Mick Abel stacks up on the pitching prospect hierarchy within the top 100, he has definitely helped his case here with a strong finish to the season through the second half of August and the first half here of September. It's been fun to watch Abel throw, and he just turned 22 years old, so another guy who's just extremely young. The last guy I wanted to mention really quickly is no longer a prospect, but a former top prospect and has had one of the weirder development paths of of anyone out there. I just wanted to highlight a piece that I put a lot of time into and really enjoyed putting together on JustBaseball.com. It's linked in the episode description on C.J. Abrams, who isn't even 23 years old yet, and it feels like he has just been around for a while now and definitely a prospect fatigue victim. And somebody that, you know, after a, a kind of a shaky year last year, he was fast-tracked to the big leagues. I break down his whole story and how many just kind of obstacles he had relative to most prospects through his development process, whether it was aggressive promotions, injuries, of course, the COVID cancellation in 2020, getting shoved up to the big leagues and sent back down, then traded in a monstrous blockbuster trade to an organization in the Nationals who really don't tinker with their prospects very much. So it wasn't really an opportunity for him to change much offensively. But I think at the big league level, something has changed and he's found something. And there are some really exciting and intriguing metrics that I highlight, as well as some swing mechanic things that are very subtle that have helped him now tap into comfortably above average power, flash more than that. And he's looking like a guy that can have some exciting pop. He's looking like a better defender. The field of hit has always been there. He's getting a little bit more patient. And I think Abrams could be a star in the making here. As And I know that's not crazy to say, but I feel like we've kind of forgotten about Abrams a little bit. And this is a guy that still has all-star upside and, and I think frequent all-star upside. And I think we're starting to see him show that and flash that a lot more frequently. So check out that whole article, that whole breakdown. I really enjoyed putting that together. That's linked in the episode description. Here is the conversation between Jack McMullen and Quinn Priester of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Just an awesome dude. 
All right, Quinn Priester, Pirates prospect, who is uh, in Indianapolis. It's been really fun watching him throw all year long. 97 last night. So we'll start immediate past, and then we'll go, like, to the very beginning. But how did uh, 97 feel coming out of the hand last night, man? Felt good again. You know, it's been a while since, you know, I've been throwing hard. And, uh, you know, and I'm seeing, you know, why it, it just makes life a little bit easier in terms of, you know, you're getting a bigger margin of error for Chase and, and also just getting guys laid on the fastball you know not putting the ball to play as much so um you know feeling really good you know heading into the last few weeks of the season here so that's that's really good is 97 uncharted territory for you like i know you were what 93 94 at draft time what did hard look like for you did you ever hit 97 oh yeah so it's kind of funny so in high school i hit 97 once it was a you know big help in you know getting the push to be drafted where i was um and then after the covid year i came back to uh the all site and instructs and I was 96 to 98 touching 99 consistently for that entire off season um, came back to spring training had my first big league spring training and then uh, you know still was up to 99 you know throwing really hard I was a lot heavier at that time so I was like 215 220 and then I went into my first full season touch 99 for like the last time that I have uh, in the first game in Greensboro uh, and then the velocity just kind of tapered down uh, with the season it was you know, a little combination of my body getting used to a full season of baseball, uh, losing weight in that time, just trying to learn how to keep weight on in a full season, um, which is an interesting challenge in itself. And then just like some mechanical changes where you know, I started to lock myself up uh, and be less athletic than I was previously. And what I'm doing now is getting back to trying to be as athletic as possible. And that's why you know, you're seeing the tick up in velocity, but then, you know, it drops a little bit when I get tired and can't feel it as much. So the better, you know, the more time I have with the delivery changes I'm making, the better I'm going to be able to hold that longer. And, and you know, hopefully, you know, by next year, uh, going into this offseason, we'll be able to carry that, you know, deep into games. I want to get back to the athletic background in a moment because you were you know, really accomplished football player, you know, in high school, right? But um, a couple things there that really jump out, and one of them is kind of retaining weight throughout a season. How hard is that? Because I know, obviously, like, hey, you're out there. That's cardio for, like, two hours at a time, man. So, like... I don't know, is it is it an attention to diet? Is it weight training? How do you kind of go about retaining that weight? So what I've learned, this is the first year I've actually done it well. Um, it's about, you know, maintaining weight training in the year, and that's not uh, the... I started lifting more in the second half of the season, actually, um, and I was able to put weight on. And so I was, I was competing at like 205 all year, and now I'm 209 was where I went to the game yesterday. Um, and so it just helps me feel stronger, deeper into games, uh, but lifting and then also pairing the nutrition, make sure you get protein and carbs. You know, I've been working a lot with John Regan here. Uh, you know, we talk all the time just about different ways, different strategies to keep weight on because I do think that, you know, a key to me keeping that 97, you know, and then, you know, eventually touching higher velos um, is going to be, you know, being 215, 220 and really freaking strong. So, um, you know, that's been a huge focus and then trying to get good sleep and that's tough like especially you know you get home and uh you know I'm a guy who I like to you know watch tv and and it can kind of get carried away but sleep
sleeping is, is a big part of that too. I notice when I'm sleeping better, I'm gaining more weight, but when I'm not getting as much sleep, you know, I'm losing it. So, yeah. The guy that jumps out there is Justin Verlander. I know uh, right after they won the World Series last year, he was asked kind of key to success at 40, and he said, I sleep a lot, like right after winning a World Series. So, sleep, very important there. Uh, do you have a go to, like, kind of pregame meal or, like, you know, between starts, a certain meal? Is it a lot of chicken? What are you doing here? I'm a lot of steak. I love making steak. Um, you know, definitely that that's like one of the things and that's one of my like hobbies is I love cooking. So being able to like make a steak uh, always, you know, kind of just takes me away from baseball a little bit, but it also helps it. Um, but then, yeah, just making sure I try to get one to two meals before either one really big meal or two meals before I come to the field because then we have got pregame, postgame. Um, and it's just trying to eat. It doesn't, you know, and then what, whatever it is, I'm always bringing home a couple water bottles, which have been mixed with protein and stuff. And uh, it's just those little things that add up over time. And then once you, you know, once you just get into those habits, it's easy to keep them. Yeah. You got interests, man. And uh, I, I've read a lot about it. Um, and I, uh, I watched what your parents be interviewed on the Pirates yeah. telecast for your big league debut. And what your mom said you were really into space at the time. I mean, oh, yeah. you're a curious individual. And I know that that is so beneficial when it comes to tinkering with pitch arsenal, too. And we're going to get into pitch arsenal here in a moment. But just out of, like, curiosity, like, space guy, I know you were, what, a dinosaur guy for for a minute there, too? Like, what element of, like, curiosity and non-baseball things, how do you feel like that kind of helps you as a baseball player? I'm just, like, like, I'm just curious about anything, man. Like... I mean, shoot, we were talking to, you know, one of the groundskeepers, you know, works at a golf course, and we just talked for 20 minutes about what that is about and, like, if, you know, how they roll the greens, how they make them, you know, just firm in the fairways and how that compares to maintain a baseball field. And just It is really just anything, you know, that I find interesting. I'm willing to ask questions. I love YouTube. Like, YouTube is one of the things that, you know, teaches me the most, you know, just – get on there and watch a couple videos but yeah like space it always is super interesting to me because like the fact the thought about living on another planet seems wild and like i don't know so like i'm just super curious about those things and when the james webb space telescope uh you know got sent into uh orbit or whatever like just following that on instagram and like all that stuff is so interesting to me it makes me feel small kind of keeps it honestly makes me feel like like humble like yeah this is really cool and all but it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme so just have fun and enjoy it um but no, like like you said, just curiosity, and then that definitely plays back to baseball, where you know you just ask questions, you see what different guys do, and you're like, oh shoot, what was that? And you go and you look, try to find the numbers, and like, dang, I wonder, you know, how he throws that. And now we have so much like technology, like we have a high speed camera on every single guy who throws here. So yep. you know, if you really want to look at it, you can go on True Media and find it. So uh, you know, it's always just I want to stay learning and you know keep my brain active as much as I can. I didn't go to college, so I need to, you know, try and get smart in other ways. You were going to go to a good one in TCU, and, and we don't really need to get into that because it was, what, first round? Like, I, I know why you opted to go yeah. play professional baseball, but I want to go down the YouTube rabbit hole here for a moment because obviously you're doing a lot of non-baseball stuff, but, you know, growing up, like, that's kind of how I learned about baseball, right? And my late night thing was Andrelton Simmons Braves 
highlights. I was fascinated by it. Were there certain pitchers that you just went down the YouTube rabbit hole and fell in love with? Uh, so early on in my career is Jake Arrieta, Kyle Hendricks. I was a big Cubs fan. So Noah Syndergaard, when he was throwing absolute, you know, fuel was because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to throw hard. And that's what I thought was cool. That was sexy. You know, wanted to get the big numbers on the radar gun. And then as I got into pro ball, I started to watch like Walker Bueller a little bit. Um, you know, and then just you know, like our guys, like watching Mitch, uh, Joe Musgrove. It's been really fun to watch. Even like lefty Stephen Brault, like Garrett Cole. Like you just, you just find like all these guys. You're just drawn to them. Glasnow, where it's just like I want to watch the guys who do things that are like, like how the heck does that guy? You know, how does Verlander get to 101 and after 110 pitches? Like, so you just look at it and. Um, I've always found, like, myself, and the reason why I watch YouTube videos and do all those things, like, I'm a very visual learner. So, like, if I see it, I learn it better. And so the, from watching the mechanics, like, I can just, like, it helps me visualize that. And I can, you know, when you do in the backyard, you just go out and you, you know, you act like Jake area and you step across and you throw or you, and you're just learning how to do things. Your body's just, you know, doing things differently. And then over time, that, that blends into what you become. Certain pitches that you kind of picked up via YouTube. You mentioned the area to step across, and you know that's like delivery oriented. Is there anything in your delivery right now that you feel like you picked up when you were growing up, or was that just kind of taught by coaches, or are you a guy that kind of likes self teaching? I'd never had any pitching coaches growing up. Like I just, I was always playing a different sport, so like there was no time or energy. Like both my parents worked, so it was like, hey, you're going to practice, you're coming home, you're doing your homework, and you're going to bed. Like we. We're doing all we can for you. Uh, so, like, on top of doing basketball, baseball, and football, like, there just wasn't time to have lessons. But I love that because, you know, I got to th- be athletic, throwing as a quarterback, you know, passing the ball to my teammates' basketball, just running up and down the court, training so many different ways to, you know, feel the body. Like, I think that helped me more than pitching lessons. And then once I got really serious about baseball, like, I sought that on my own by going to YouTube and those things. So, um, you know, for me, I think it's all about being athletic, and that's why, you know, you're seeing the more athletic I get, the better I'm performing on the mound, and the better my stuff is. So, you know, that's something that I'm glad I'm finding right now, uh, and, you know, hopefully, you know, take that into the last, you know, part of this year, see what happens, and then work on it this offseason and come back as good as possible. Football question for you. Um, if I plopped you into the Ryan Day offense at Ohio State, and I gave you Marvin Harrison and a Bo- against an FCS team, how many yards are you throwing for? I don't know, man. Marvin Harrison's nasty, so, like, you could just throw him on a post, like, just try and look off a safety. So I'm going to go, man, I don't know. Give me a week to – give me, like, two weeks to prepare, throwing the football, throw for 150 yards. I love it. Um, How much fun do you, you know, manage to have during the season? And obviously, like, this is a business, and you experience that this year. You get, you know, the high of your baseball career, making your big league debut. And, you know, like, such is the nature of the beast. Like, optioned, you're in Indianapolis. It's, It's such a roller coaster. And if you let it consume you, you know, that's probably making for a long six months. How do you get away from that? Like, how easy is it to get away from that? For me, and this season's been, uh, you know, a big teaching lesson for that is, you know, it's there's there's your ups, there's your downs, and and being you know a highly competitive individual, 
that, you know, the wins and losses really drive my emotions. And that's just the reality. I think that ha- that's for a lot of us. But having, you know, good teammates around, like Valade and Nick, like you look out in the outfield, Shaq, Kanan, like all these guys who are, you know, I've gotten really close to. When Zamoro is here, Zestrizny, like Underwood, like all these guys are such great guys that, you know, and everyone's kind of going through the ups and downs together. So you, I lean on those guys a lot. I love playing golf. Uh, I don't do it enough because I'm always trying to be as prepared as possible. Like, don't want to, but sometimes, like, just get out there and swing the sticks. Uh, That helps me, you know, just unplug for four hours. And then, um, you know, playing video games with my buddies from back home always is, like, awesome for me to do. That's how I stay connected with those guys. That and fantasy football and, um, you know, just hopping on and yelling at each other for two hours is always a good way to not worry about what's going on. And I love it. Yeah. No, but that's what's great about my buddies from home is they really don't care about what's going on here like it's just we're playing and getting competitive in a different way it's kind of the best version and like it giving you a peek into me i lived with non-broadcast people in college when i did the broadcast stuff and it was amazing because i could just like put it away and they didn't care they were like oh you're going to the game it's not like how did you do which was just awesome so um i want to wrap with the pitch mix and kind of walk through pitch by pitch and you know obviously a topic of conversation is you know four seam versus sinker and you've made the move to pretty much sinker exclusive at this point um or are you mixing in that four seam you know on occasion what does it look like savant can make it look weird yeah so we're really working on cutting the four seamer right now so that we saw that the four seamer really didn't play that well the lefties i'm a big like down approach angle guy and so that's why the sinker is great for me especially right-handed hitters like if you go look at it it's just a really really tough pitch for right-handed hitters to lift so we'll always be able to go to right-handed hitters with the sinker Give them to put the ball on the ground, be laid on it, follow it off, follow it off into their shin. That happens a lot. I kind of feel bad, but it is what it is. Um, but then to really attack lefties, like that sinker kind of falls into the bat path of a lefty. So we needed something to go off of it. The four seam, kind of the approach angle kind of negates any ride that I can get. I'm not a super great ride guy, but now we're kind of adding this cutter, and the cutter is really getting in on left-handed bats. And, you know, last night it is, I had back-to-back broken bats, and those are both on cutters that I threw well. But, you know, with that being a new pitch, I've been working on that for probably six weeks now, seven, eight weeks, something like that. So it's still relatively new you know you know sometimes it still leaks into a four seamer and that's the tendency of when it gets hit pretty hard i know uh mayton last night i left one up and away it didn't really cut and that's the one he got you know a chance to barrel out into left field gotten out luckily but you know if that cuts i think that gets more in on the hands and it's a lot weaker of a ball how good is your memory on a pitch-by-pitch basis? Because obviously you're talking about that with Maton, and like that might be the pitch that stands out about last night. But do you kind of compartmentalize hitter by hitter and it's, hey, this pitch was successful against this hitter in real time? Because that probably takes some time to get used to. Yeah, I mean, as a starter, you have to because – I need to know what I threw guys the first time through and what I'm going to attack them with the second time through. And then the third time through, I need to be able to go back to what I did the first and second time so that I'm not. And that's that was kind of some of the struggles in the big leagues is I wasn't doing that well, where I was throwing the guys the same stuff and they're big league freaking hitters. They're going to they're gonna smack it. They've seen it five, six times. So um, that's something I need to – I'm continually getting better at. But – there is times, like, especially with with guys, you know, who you're keying on, like Maton, Colt Keith, 
like those you know, Leonard, like those guys who were really talented throughout the week, and you're like, oh, okay, these guys can really swing it. Um, you know, you tend to remember those at bats a little bit more to where, you know, not trying to be disrespectful, but you know, sometimes those eight nine hitters aren't aren't seeing the ball as well at that time of the year. So, you know, you think you can do just about anything uh, as long as you just throw it well with good intent. 100. percent uh, Breaking balls, real quick, because you mentioned you like working, you know, kind of top down. And um, how how is that curveball kind of transformed for you as you've gotten through your pro career? Because that is it's firm, right? I've seen it at 80. I, I've seen it in the mid 70s at you know previous points in your career. But now, I mean, it feels like that thing is a true hammer. Yeah, no, and that's we're getting again. That's something that I was doing like in uh, 2020. Like it was coming out at uh, like 84 at times and just dumping off the table. So it's like really frustrating when you have video of yourself younger, like looking at it. It's like I should be better now, but I go and I watch, and this is the best curveball I've ever thrown in my life. And I'm still throwing a good one. Like early in the year, still is getting like doing the job, doing well. But now, like I've stopped really trying to manipulate it, and I'm just trying to throw the absolute crap out of it. Um, and I think it's just the intent slot that you know doesn't change from fastball to that. And you know because again, like I'll go back to that approach angle thing. But my approach angle down, it doesn't pop out of my hand. So that's the big difference between my curveball and maybe somebody else's um and then the slider is definitely you know just more of like a hard breaking pitch it's something you know what i've started to love doing is just mixing both of them and in that bat because you know one's the slider is going to be a little bit shorter harder uh and then obviously that curveball is going to be bigger and depthier and just when i'm able to throw both of those things uh you know it can keep a hitter off balance uh to one whether you know i could throw three straight sliders in fall off the two of them and shoot the you know next one to right field but then when I go to that curveball instead of that third slider it spins different see a little different and just something's different about it totally understand that Quinn last one for you um, just immediate goals for the end of 23 and as you get into the offseason what are you what are you trying to you know get done before you go back to Bradenton and get ready in big league camp I think a big thing you know the pitch, uh, two pitches that I'm really focusing on this offseason and, and right now is going to be cutter and changeup. I think both of those have room to be really freaking good. And I think they're good right now, um, but they've, with a little more consistency, a little more you know, thought, I think those two pitches can both become plus. And then, and then I really got five plus pitches to throw, and it'll be really, really fun. And then staying athletic, man, just going out. I'm going to get myself a football for this offseason, just because like I was thinking about it like the uh, quarterback's got to be like the most athletic thrower because you just have to throw from your back foot on a run everything so just trying to train that way to be as athletic as possible and take the thought out of it and just trust my body um, is going to be huge for me this offseason and if I'm able to do that uh, you know I think we see those numbers come back you know get a little bit heavier start throwing a little bit harder and then you know who knows the curveball might get back to 84 fastball might get back up there so um uh, you know, if I can achieve those things, I think, you know, 2023 is 2023. I think 2024 could be a really special year for me. Quinn Priester, you are the man. It's been a, a blast talking over all your yeah. starts this year. So hope you aren't pissed with uh, with me no, so far. Not at all. Not at all. It's been fun. You know, we go in there uh, and we're listening. So it's I heard you grading uh, Valade's gritty the other day, which I thought was hilarious. What do you think? B plus? I gave it B plus, A minus. I, I think you're right in there. I was going to go a little higher. I think that's, you know, A material just because my gritty is brutal and he 
he added a little little swag to it. Got you. Quinn, you're the man. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Overdraft fees are just the worst. Get up to $200 in fee-free overdraft with a Chime checking account. Sign up today at Chime.com slash Goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.